Amen. Good morning, church. I was going to remind you that next week it's going to be regular times, 9 and 1030. So whichever one you want to come, you can come to one or both. It's up to you. Or 830 and hang out, whichever. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this wonderful song. I just love ocean so much and just just love to be able to come and worship you today. Just uh, be with us today as we learn more about you and how we can battle against sin. Say things in your blessed name. Amen. So it's the last day of 2017. Most of us probably spent some time this week remembering uh, things that passed, good times, bad times, trials, tribulations, maybe got promoted or something like that, new relationship, difficult times. And tonight, many of us will celebrate New Year's Eve. It's a double celebration in our family. It's also my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, Lynette. Tonight, we celebrate with good friends, food, drink, good conversations. We will stay up late and savor all the good things about the year and hopes for the next year. Then tomorrow morning, a lot of us will make New Year's resolutions. According to this article I read in Forbes, 40% of us will make New Year's resolution. Any idea what the top five are? Number five, quit smoking. Four, spend more time with your family. Three, get out of debt. Two, eat healthier. And one, lose weight and exercise more. Those kind of go together. So, it reminds me of a story I heard about this couple. This guy, he wanted to, he was one of the number ones. He wanted to lose weight, so he was going into the bathroom, and he jumps on the scale, and he sucks in his gut as much as he can, and his wife walks in as he's doing it, and she just laughs. She goes, honey, what are you doing? That's not going to help. And he goes, honey, of course it's going to help. That's the only way I can see the numbers. <laughs> so, so, that was pretty good. Each year, losing weight is the number one resolution that we strive for. Other ones that we focus on are finance, marriage, other bad habits. Most of these are outwardly things. Today, I thought we'd spend some time in God's Word looking at inward. Throughout the month of December, we focus on Advent and the birth of our Savior. We read carols or devotions, sing carols, light candles that remind us of Jesus' hope, joy, and peace. We read the good news of his miraculous birth. Our kids put on plays, do nativity scenes. We we meditate on the utter need of a Savior in our lives. Then tomorrow morning, all of a sudden, our focus will shift. And we start focusing on what we can do to change ourselves for the better. We often look at the outwardly discontentment in our lives and try to fix them. I'll drop a few pounds, spend some more time with the kids, kick the bad habits, stick to our budget. But maybe... These are just symptoms of a greater problem. Maybe we should look back at the good news we spend all Advent savoring and look at the need, what our need is in the first place. So let's take a look at a good news and some bad news. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark 7, 14 to 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you. And understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see what whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, idolatry, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So the good news, if you didn't catch that, is Jesus declared all things clean to eat. That means we can now eat bacon. That, 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 that's what I got from that. In Mark, we also clearly see the bad news. It's our heart. What defiles us doesn't come from the outside. It's in us. Jesus says, form within, out of the heart of man come. And he lists a whole bag of sin issues that stems from our heart. The bad news is our heart. Full of sin, it separates us from God. We are dead in our sin and require a savior, a substitution, a perfect sacrifice. Evil thoughts, sexual morality, deceit, envy, pride. These aren't just outwardly moral issues, but heart issues. These are within us. We can't change this. We can't self-correct without a change of heart. We are dead. We can't change our heart. But there is good news. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, 3 to 5 to see what that is. Are we all ready? We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Remember that long list that Mark gave that defiles us, those inner sinful desires? And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Did you notice verse 4? It's one of the most precious verses in the Bible. But God, we were dead, but God made us alive. We were dirty, but God made us clean. We were orphans, but God made us his children. We were guilty, but God made us innocent. This is grace, unmerited favor. The dead us can do nothing to make ourselves alive, but God. God, rich in his mercy and grace, took our dead hearts and breathed into them life. Not because we deserved it but because of his love for us. Verse 4 says that we are spiritually dead. A few months ago, we read in John chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You probably remember the story. Lazarus died. He's wrapped in burial cloths. Mary and the sisters were sitting there mourning. Other mourners joined them later. Word gets to Jesus. He's sitting there. He takes his time. Everyone's like, where's Jesus at? He's supposed to come save him. Word... uh, Four days pass while Lazarus is dead. Dead, like stinky dead. Jesus calls him out of the tomb, just like Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus also raises us from that spiritual death. This is a beautiful picture. We were dead in our sins, but just like that, Jesus calls us and brings us to life. So then, why do we still struggle with sin? Why is it so hard to do what is right? We can try with all our might to be more like Christ. And do what is right. You know, my wife, she has some strong uh, big boundaries for our kids. One of them is no running with scissors, carrying scissors. You can't even look at scissors. 
So she's been, when our four-year-old was younger, or four, obviously, he's 12 now, he grabbed a pair of scissors and decided to give himself a haircut. You know, cut his whole bangs off. It's not as nice as my high and tight, but it was pretty good. So, it is easier and more comfortable. Let's see. And and then when we asked him why he did it, he said, I don't know. That's you. I don't know. That's, that's what we usually get. I don't know. But then after he thought about it, he said, being right is hard. And he is right. Being, being right is hard. How many times do you, do you start your day wanting to please God and you end up failing? You mess it up before breakfast even starts. Being right is hard. We have been brought to life by Christ, but are drawn back to our old dead selves. It is like Lazarus putting back on his death rags and climbing back, on the, back, back into the tomb. It's easier, more comfortable to do what we know. Cling to old habits. Sit in our complacency. Think how long you were dead before you were raised. All those years leaving carnal makes it impossible to live a life that is holy without the atoning work of a Savior. It's as Jesus was saying, hey, wait a minute. I saved you. You are no longer dead. Get up and live a life that emulates me. Don't put those stinky death rags back on. Growing up, I didn't have a father. So I wanted to be like my grandpa. I would sit and watch TV with him. We'd watch Perry Mason, Matlock. We'd eat his favorite snacks, puffy Cheetos. <laughs> you get that sticky orange stuff on your fingers, and then you eat your sandwich, and it'd get all over the sandwich. You know, and then you lick your fingers. See, my wife hates that. So, <clears throat> Just like kids emulate their parents, we are to emulate the Father and be more like Christ. So what's the solution? How do we become more like Christ? Of the millions of us that set New Year's resolutions, only 8% of us will actually achieve them. Most of us will break them before February. When I made resolutions, it was to be nice to my sister. I usually broke that before I made the resolution. So we know it's hard to make resolutions, and especially it's hard to be nice to your sister. Trying to spruce up on the outside isn't a bad idea. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make a resolution. I'm just suggesting that those of us who have been saved by grace should make more of a worthy resolution. With that in mind, let's look at Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians verse 1, or verse 11 and 12. To this end, we also pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to grow in sanctification is to fix our eyes on Christ and pray that he will make us worthy of his calling. He calls us to live a life and, and, we make, and to make more of him. Sanctification is not being sinless, but sinning less. And the only way that is possible is through the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit. But rest in the fact that as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, We will fail many, many times. We will reach for those old death rags, and that's okay. Because you can do the dumbest thing, and God will still love you. You can have a day when you ignore his existence, and he'll still love you. You can fail to do what he's called you to do, and he'll still love you. Our relationship with God has never depended on our faithfulness or our obedience, but on the faithfulness of his love. If God withdrew his love every time we failed, there'd be no hope for any of us. The unbreakable faithfulness of God's love 
for us is such a huge comfort precisely because we are unfaithful. The unstained perfection of God's love gives us hope because we aren't perfect. So I was told to give you a list of how many points I'm going through so you can track with me. So we have 34 points. Ready? (laughs) Number one. It's actually only five. So number one, let's fill our mind with guilt. Fill your mind and conscience with guilt. It might sound countercultural, but we are told to have high self-esteem and to move on and forgive ourselves. But before we should do that, we need to sit and grapple with the sin and how dangerous it is and how it dishonors God. We need to look at the cross and see the cost of our sin as Christ suffered and died for that sin that we just committed. We need to see Christ bearing our sin on the cross and do not avert our gaze until that view sits heavy in our soul. We're not simply to be caught up in the fear of consequences or fear of shame and embarrassment, but to deeply feel the weight of sin on our relationship with our Savior. Number two, let's preach the gospel to ourselves. That amazing grace, that good news that saved us, is saving us and will save us. We need to preach that gospel to ourselves day in and day out. The question is, what gospel are we preaching to ourselves? So, this Advent season, we've been reading this book at our house called Come Let Us Adore Him, and it's by Paul David Tripp. And I'd like to read a section of it that explains this. Every day of your life, you preach some kind of gospel to yourself. My prayer is that the gospel that is preached to you through every element of the Christmas story will be the gospel that you preach to yourself as you face the opportunities, responsibilities, temptations, danger, struggles, and blessings of your life as a child of God in in this broken world. What do you preach to yourself when you are blessed? A gospel of glory or of God's grace? What kind of gospel do you preach to yourself when you're facing the unwanted, the unexpected, the unplanned, the disappointing, and the difficult? Do you preach a Christless gospel that leaves you feeling alone and overwhelmed? Or the gospel of his presence, power, promises, and grace? When someone rejects you or mistreats you, what do you preach to yourself? When you are physically sick or feeling weak, what do you preach to yourself? When you are lacking in resources, what gospel do you preach to yourself? May the glorious gospel that is preached to you in the birth of Jesus be the gospel that you preach to yourself day after day until you are on the other side, forever with the one who was born to provide you what you never, ever would be able to provide for yourself. So let's make sure that we preach the authentic, life-saving gospel of Christ to others and to ourselves in every circumstance. Number three, let's meditate on God's word. As the desire to sin rises up, and as we commit ourselves to battle against it, we need to meditate on God's word and see how his glory and our desperate inability His word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. So let's use it. An example of this I see is with my wife. Whenever she's struggling with something, she puts scripture everywhere. Seen it on the TV, the remotes, bathroom mirror, in the car while we're driving, on the kids, on the dog. You name it, it is everywhere. I was like, honey, there's scripture on my underwear. What's up with that? No. She puts, it, she puts it on there to remind her of God's word and promises. 
It helps her battle sin and fix her eyes on Jesus. So that's a good example that we can also do. Also, let's be accountable. Number four. This is the fourth point. Just let you guys track. Fourth point. Let's be accountable to one another. I wouldn't be here today sharing this message with you if it wasn't for my accountability partners. Over the years, I've had many people in my life holding me accountable for my sin issues. They have helped me grow more like Christ by not only showing me it in his word, but also by leading by example. We all need a Paul and Timothy in our lives to help us in our daily walk. So to hold me accountable, recently, the two pastors had me and talked to me. They said that I was a little bit too dogmatic in what I believe. And I'm a little more too, um, what was the word that they, too emotional when it comes to my, uh, what I think and believe. And my wife tells me all the time, it's, you tell people your opinion and you listen to theirs, but your opinion is still right to you and you're not, so... They, they held me accountable on that, and I, and I told them thank you for that, and, that was, and I'm trying to change that. And, and so that's a good point of accountability that we all need in our lives. We need somebody like that. To be able to battle against sin, we need community. To turn to when we are struggling. We need the family God to hold us accountable and hold us up. Who's your community? Are you in a community group? If not, I encourage you to grab one of the communication cards, fill it out that you want a community group. They're all, they're all on a break and they're about ready to start back up, so it's a good time to get into a community group. If you're in a community group already, good. I have two things I want you to encourage you to do. Look around this room, look around, that was point one, if you're taking notes. Look around the room, look in your neighborhood, your office, wherever you're at, you spend all your time, and invite someone to your community group so that they can be part of that group. Two, if you're already in one, get real with your group. Maybe you sat somewhere, in the living room, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, and you just didn't want to share it with your brothers and sisters. Do it. This is very important. There is freedom that comes from dragging your sins into the light. There is comfort that comes from the prayers of the saints. There is safety that comes in numbers. Your communion group, your church family, is a safe place to share your struggles. We don't condemn each other, but we walk with each other in love by helping point each other towards the gospel. We're all sinners that fall short of the the glory of God. Why pretend that we aren't? Our friends, when they're at our house, we like to say, why do you suck? And that's, we're keeping it real. And that's the point where we say why we're struggling. And that's, we're holding each other accountable and we help each other through that. We don't try to hide behind, well, we're not supposed to say that. They might think bad about us. We're trying to keep it real and say, listen, this is why I'm having problems. Please Pray with me and walk through this struggle with me. Number five, let's expect deliverance from sin. Expect deliverance from our sin. Don't try to conquer sin on your own. Only God can deliver us from sin. We need to battle against sin and expect that God will meet us in that battle. We need to confess our sins and turn away from them. This is the true repentance God desires for us. Stay with Jesus, abide in Jesus. And put your sin to death today and every day. So in closing, as we look to the next year, let us focus on the cross, where our precious Savior died for our sins. Let's all come together and be transparent in our lives and help each other grow in sanctification. Stop trying to put on those dirty death rags. You have been redeemed, and now we're called to follow Jesus. Live a life holy and blameless for his glory. This year... Let's make a resolution to ask God to make us worthy of his calling and to fulfill every resolve for good 
and every work of faith by his power for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so thankful for your goodness.